Well, my name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here. Let me extend a welcome to you as well. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for the church. Lord, I pray for those who have been in and around the church for a long time, as well as for those who are new and investigating and trying to figure what you're about. I pray as only you can. You're the great shepherd. You know each one of us. I pray that you'd speak and minister to our hearts this morning from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in a series on kingdom practices about being generous, about how to steward the, the wealth and resources that God has given to us. Whoa, that got close. Don't need that. And um, just want to set a little bit of context first before we dive in. I'm going to look at just a few simple principles in just a second, but just by way of reminder, what's going on in this passage that we just read is that there's a group of Christians that have been afflicted and have experienced famine, religious affliction, and then uh, famine, and so they're very poor. And the Apostle Paul, one of the official representatives of Jesus at that time, knows about this, and so he makes it his mission for about 10 years to go to these other churches that aren't in such a destitute situation and to collect money from them to help support these folk over here. And this becomes a pattern of what it's like to give as a follower of Jesus, as an apprentice to Jesus. There's principles that we learn from this chapter and others, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, about how to give in the kingdom of God. And I say that importantly, we are in the kingdom of God. So again, if you're not as familiar, the Bible's kind of broken up into two parts, an Old Testament and a New Testament. It's like before Jesus, after Jesus. And there were certain giving principles and practices, which we're going to look at more specifically in a few minutes, that were kind of mandated. But now with the coming of Jesus, things have changed and deepened and been fulfilled. And so we've been looking at what it means to give post Jesus' death for us, his resurrection, his gift of the Spirit, and the promise of everlasting life in him. What does it mean? What kind of people would be produced if they believe that gospel? How would they be generous? That's what we're investigating in this morning. So that's just by way of context. That's what's happening here. And the, <laughs> I like it when the Bible does this. When I was in seminary, the uh, classes, the, the professors and teachers used to say, try to figure out what the main point of the passage is. And so you're, just, you know, you're, you're laboring it, and you come back to class, and there's like 12 different main points. And mine was always like, no, okay. <laughs> right is what I was saying. <laughs> it wasn't. But here, you can't miss it. Verse 6, the point is this. <laughs> I love that. Here's the point. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. And then he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And so that's what it means to give in the kingdom of God now. When these Christians were suffering and afflicted over here, Paul went to all of these other Christians and he didn't start giving them you know, percentages and figures and things like that. He reminded them of the kingdom of God, the work of Christ, the example of others. And then he said, okay, now because of who you are and what God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit's doing in you, I want you to process that and figure it out. And so this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to appeal to you to decide in your own heart about what you should give. Now again, this is specifically for followers of Jesus. Again, if you're here, this is your first time, like, oh, this is the first sermon I hear? <laughs> this isn't, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't necessarily for you. We'll see in a minute why. But if you name the name of Jesus, then you need to decide in your heart what you're going to give. 
And the three principles I'm gonna talk about this morning are all aimed to help you do that. You have to figure it out before the Lord, and these principles are gonna help you do that, to help you process that. Does that make sense? That's where we're going. There's three principles. The principle of firsts, the principle of the tithe, and the principle of sowing and reaping. Firsts, tithe, sowing and reaping. And those will help you figure out how you, as an apprentice to Jesus, should process and decide in your heart on how you should give. Okay, ready? Let's go. The principle of firsts. Actually, if you have your Bible open there, which you should. <clears throat> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Judging you. 8 and verse 5. So eight, chapters 8 and 9 are about this ministry of giving. Paul says, speaking of a group of other Christians, by the way, who are over here in Macedonia, this is like a map of the Mediterranean in my mind, so it would be like this for you. Macedonia would be over here, and Jerusalem would be over here. Anyway, the Macedonians were also poor and afflicted, and yet despite their poor and experience of affliction, they gave generously to the other poor afflicted Christians. And Paul was amazed by this, and so in verse 5, he says of chapter 8, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. And so, friends, this is actually what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus. When you come to Jesus to follow him, you entrust your entire life to him. That's what it means to be, you know, we've been trying to use the, you know, Christian means we tend to think, well, I, I believe certain things, and disciple like that's like, oh, that's like a serious Christian. No, 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 no. To be a Christian, to be a disciple, means to come to Jesus and say, I'm giving you, I'm entrusting my entire life to you. That's the first move. That's the first step of what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus. And basically the rest of your apprenticeship is figuring out what it means that you gave all of yourself to Jesus. That's what apprenticeship is. That's what learning to follow Jesus means. Jesus says you could gain the whole world but lose your soul. You could lay down your life, you could lose your life, Jesus says, but in the end you actually find it. So the firsts, and so, you know, when we start talking about percentages a little bit later, which we will, it's like, well, I've already given everything that I am and all that I, you know, all that I have and all that I am to Jesus. So the percentages we can talk about, but I'm all in. You see the difference? Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it's a kind of a, it's a verse that a lot of disciples of Jesus learn early in their journey because it says, because of the mercy of God given to you, present your bodies, present yourself as a living sacrifice. I'm offering all of me to you, Jesus. That's the first move. That's the first thing that these Macedonian Christians did, and they're the example. So as you try to decide in your heart, you know, don't really think a whole lot about percentages necessarily if you're still wrestling with, am I all in? Does that make sense? Another key uh, passage on this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, again, is talking to his disciples, those who are interested in following him. And he says in Matthew 6, therefore don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles or the nations? Seek after these things. Those are kind of like the stock, you know, that's like the meat and potatoes of what you need, what you eat and what you're going to wear, that type of thing. Those are your needs. Those are your necessities. And Jesus says to his followers, don't worry about your needs. Whoa. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek, say it, seek first the kingdom of God 
And what does he mean? He's, he's meaning don't even seek to meet your own needs first. Seek to give to the kingdom of God first. That's apprenticeship. That's what it means to learn to follow Jesus and his righteousness. And then he says, all these things will be added to you. I'm going to provide for you. We'll talk about that in a few minutes with sowing and reaping. But seek first the kingdom of God. So here's, here's a way that you think about it. As you're trying to decide in your own heart what you should give, <laughs> you shouldn't first think of your bills and then your frills. And then if there's still something left, I'll give that. That's not how the people give in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, we recognize the worth and the honor and the value of King Jesus. And before we think about our bills and our frills, we seek first the kingdom of God. We are saying we're giving this percent. I'm not saying how much. We'll talk about how much that is in a minute. But first I give here. Now, this principle of firsts once again extends to the Old Testament where we see the first sacrificial offering given to God. Anyone know what that is? Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel bring an offering of worship to God. They bring from their resources as an offering to God. Cain is a farmer. He brings some fruit. Abel is a shepherd. He brings some sheep. And so God says to Cain, I do not have regard for you, meaning there was something internally wrong with Cain's heart, nor do I have a regard for your offering, which is what was in your heart got reflected in your offering. But if you repent, I will accept it, God says. He doesn't take that opportunity. Okay, uh, Abel, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate help from that side. You know where we're going with this. Get down with it, Pastor. Abel brings sheep. Now, Moses, the author of Genesis, doesn't explicitly say why God did receive Abel and his offering, but he does make a little comment about Abel's offering, and he says that Abel's offering was the firstborn and the fat portions, which is the Old Testament way of saying first and best. So when you think about giving the very first offering that ever comes to the Lord, the Lord says Cain basically brought some or his leftovers and Abel brought his first and best and the Lord says, yes, I received this and he says, no, over here. And that principle still carries today. We as followers of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, we seek his kingdom and his purposes first even before our needs, what will we wear and what will we eat, before our bills and frills. Does that make sense? And then as you go through the, the Old Testament, you'll see this idea of, of the firstborn belonging to the Lord. You'll see this idea of the first fruits. That was like during harvest time. They would take the first tenth, a tithe, we'll see in a minute, of their harvest, the barley harvest, and they had an actual whole festival called the first fruits. And you took all of the first fruits and you offered that unto the Lord. And what you're doing there is you're honoring God. You're saying the very first thing that comes from my crop, Lord, I recognize I'm dependent on you. I honor you. And by the way, I trust you with the rest of whatever else comes. What if the rest of it's not good? I trust you, Lord. I honor you. I trust you. And so the principle of firsts, well, what belongs to the Lord carries into this kingdom idea. The Macedonians first gave themselves to the Lord. One quick 
little, not so little caveat before we move to the second principle. Do not forget that Jesus is called God's firstborn and the Holy Spirit is called God's first fruit. You don't outgive God. He's not asking you to give your first and best as if he's not giving his first and best. Did God give you his leftovers? No, oh my goodness, blasphemy, right? He gave his one and only son. The most precious reality and experience and relationship from the Father he gave on our behalf. His firstborn. He gave us his first and best. And then when Jesus rises from the dead and now he gives gifts to his children, the first gift that he gives his children, Acts 2, is the Holy Spirit. And there's no greater gift than that. What is, God's not holding out. He's not asking us to respond in ways that he hasn't first demonstrated. He's the generous one. He's the, he gives his firstborn and his first fruits, And so we respond in kind. And so as you're deciding in your heart what should you give, I want to challenge you if you're an apprentice to Jesus to say, okay, I'm going to give my first and best to God. Secondly, now let's talk about the tithe. You've been waiting for it for five weeks. <laughs> I'm glad a few people laughed at that because that tells me you actually were waiting. I will reiterate this again. You're like, I knew it. I knew this guy eventually was going to say, you have to give 10%. Wrong. Just not going to do it. <laughs> I will not give you the satisfaction. <laughs> It's just not there. Each one must decide in their heart what they're going to give. Now, that doesn't mean we should not learn from the story of God. And we can learn from the story of God about how different people have given, and it can influence and help us and help us decide how we want to give. I'll give you a few examples of this. And so in the Old Testament, Abraham gave a tithe that was a tenth to this kind of mysterious king-priest named Melchizedek. Abraham won this battle, there was a lot of spoil, and he took that a spoil and a tenth of it he offered to this king-priest. So it's like, apparently Abraham knows about giving a tenth. And when you study other ancient cultures in and around Abraham at that time, even you know, what we might call pagan cultures were giving a tenth at times to their deities. So the idea or the concept of giving a tenth of what you have to a deity was not foreign, even in the biblical story itself, specifically with Abraham. Jacob does something similar. Jacob has to go back and face his brother Esau, who he swindled, and Esau was the bigger, tougher brother. <laughs> and Jacob was nervous. And God came to him and assured him. And then Jacob's like, well, just to be sure, God, I'll, I'll get your promises, but I'll give you a tenth. He was kind of bartering with God, kind of like we do. But nevertheless, Jacob had a concept for giving a tenth of what he had to the Lord. It's just kind of like instructive. I view giving 10% kind of like a rule for thumb. Suggested, you know when the nonprofits look for a suggested donation? <laughs> I know that sounds crass, but suggested donation. A tenth is probably a pretty good place to start. Now, once you get into the actual administration, the part of the Bible where Moses comes and the people of God are in the promised land and they have prophets, priests, and kings ruling over them and there's this nation of Israel, it's a God-governed, theocratic nation, there are certain laws, commands that are put in place that do bind the conscience of the people of God at that time. And so here's a list of these ties. There's the Levitical tithe, 
which is 10% of your income you give to the tribe of Levi because God did not give them an inheritance in the promised land. And so the other tribes got together, they gave 10% of your wealth, and you, if you were part of the the Levitical tribe, you would get that and that's what you would live on. You helped with the function of the tabernacle and the temple and all those other things. The priestly tithe is a little bit different because within the Levites, there was a special family, Aaron's family, namely, that were like the high priest that served in the kind of like the temple itself, the tabernacle and temple itself. The Levites gave 10% of what they had to the priests. Does that make sense? So now we're really deep in the weeds. If you don't really worry about that, talk to me later. Keep moving. Festival tithe, this one's actually kind of like, I view this one as kind of like fun, which I know is a weird word to say when you're thinking about tithing, but... This tithe you did every year, you kept. And you used it for your family to go celebrate the feasts. So at Passover, you needed to travel to Jerusalem to worship there with the rest of the nation, you know, at the tabernacle and eventually at the temple. And you would need to bring a tenth of what you had so that you could, you know, basically it was like celebrate Christmas and Easter all at once and plan for it. Take 10% of what you have to worship your family together with the Lord. And all God's people said, that doesn't sound so bad, right? One of the cool things about that tithe was that you were also especially supposed to look out for people who didn't have as much, maybe the Levites, the poor, the orphan, the widows, and to bring them in on your celebration too. So that's like really great. And then the charity tithe was 10% every three years. And that was given to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. So when you, look at, when you look at the summary of these ties, depending on who you were and what year it was, I guess, a Hebrew tithe could be anywhere between 20 to 30% of your income. That's just what it was. Now again, that was, that was what was happening in the old covenant. That was in the old system. And now we're in the kingdom of God, so things are different. And so it's like, oh, okay, so... What do we do now with all those percentages? Each one must decide in their heart what to do. You still have to figure it out. You still have to process things through. Jesus says in um, uh, Matthew chapter 5, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I just want to encourage us and challenge us to think how generous God has been to us Jesus is saying, I look back at the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, I'm not coming to like get rid of those. I want you to find the deepest, fullest meaning of them. So he gives an example of like, I'm not just saying don't just murder. I'm saying don't even be angry without a cause. Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? And so think about that with generosity. I, I want you to live the fullest principle out of generosity to God and his kingdom and people and the people around you. And so think that way. As you try to decide, each one in your heart, what you should give, you can look at all of these examples. You can look at the example of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is interesting because he's set up with the rich ruler who comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And the, guy, the rich guy walks away and says, no, I'm not going to do that, Jesus. And then basically the next story is Zacchaeus, who's a very wealthy man as well. He repents. He's an extortioner. He's greedy. He's a swindler. He, were, he gives back everything he stole four times as much, and he gave away half of his possessions. And it's not like Jesus was like, oh, 50% wasn't 100. You're out. So... All that the tithing principle is doing is it's just giving you something to think about. It's not just like, whatever. (laughs) Look at the story of God. Look at the people of God. Look at the examples of God. 
be challenged and encouraged and sharpened, think that Jesus has come to fulfill the deepest part of generosity in our hearts and in our world and say, okay, God, move me. I love when we saying love commits to the light. I am on a trajectory of increased generosity. That's where I want to be. And I look at the story and I see that. One really encouraging thing, um, like, you know how you do those thought exercises? It's like, well, what if we all kind of actually did this? Like, what if, what if we actually kind of took the rule of thumb? A sociologist from the University of Notre Dame and his team did this estimation, and it's just an estimation. Christians in the United States who are actually members of churches are in a total... That word R should not be in there. In a total collective 2005 income, boy, that sentence is terrible. (laughs) My slides are great. (laughs) I did this between the first and second service very quickly. So there you go. In 2005, Christians who are members of churches had an income of $2 trillion. That's what that sentence should say. We estimate that committed Christians in the United States gave, if they gave 10% of their after-tax income fully but no more than 10% would provide an extra $46 billion per year of resources of which to fund needs and priorities. At $46 billion, you're starting to change the world. You're starting to change the world. And no government red tape or bureaucracy. We could take care of the poor. We could do the mission. And even here locally, if, if at New City, you know, I, I asked some of our admin team, you know, we, we would be a, a few hundred thousand dollars more than we currently are to be able to use that for, you know, church planning or, you know, uh, ministry of needs or missional advancement, those other things. So I, I just think that's kind of encouraging. I, I don't mean that in a guilt way. It's like a vision. It's like, hey, if we did this, the Lord would use it in amazing ways. And so just using the example of others is all we're doing. So again, each one must decide in their own heart. The principle of first. Each one must decide in their own heart. The principle of tithing. All right, third and final. The principle of sowing and reaping. And so again, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Look at verse 8. And God is able, what a great sentence, to make all grace abound to you so that having all contentment in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's kind of like what I was just saying about the giving. If we were giving generously and sacrificially first and principle of time, processing all that, Paul comes and he says, God will make all kinds of grace abound to you. You will be content. Other people's needs will be met and God will be glorified. It'll be amazing is basically what he's saying. One of the most challenging parts about giving to the kingdom of God is fear. We're afraid. We're afraid about our bills and our frills, (laughs) right? 
I won't get the vacation, or I might not get the thing, or I might not, you know, we won't be able to pay the, you know, that type of thing. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that in the kingdom of God, there's this principle of sowing and reaping. Giving to the kingdom of God is not like throwing your treasure in the ocean and it's gone. Giving your treasure, time, and talents in the kingdom of God is like planting a seed that produces a return. It's like investing. And so you can give, and then God will supply your needs. Now, there's an aberration of this that's kind of like been sold in the West as like a get-rich schema. Like, hey, go to God, and then he'll make you rich. That is not what's being said here. Look what commentator Paul Barnett says. There is no hint of a prosperity theology here. Enrichment, like overflowing, is metaphorical, and it's not at all motivated by self-interest. This ministry is for the purpose of generosity with a view to thanksgiving to God. All things are from God and for God. God enriches for generosity, which results in thanksgiving to God. And so he's using the Macedonians as an example. They're poor, but they still gave, and yet God still supplied. And so you think about the manna in the wilderness, if you're familiar with the story. You gather it up. You got everything you need for the day. Some people, you know, we got savers and spenders in the room. Usually married, <laughs> spender, saver, okay? And the savers, when they saw the manna, they're like stuffing their pots, and the next day it was all corrupted, right? God's like, no, I'm going I'm to teach you to trust me every day. You can give today, because I'll supply you for tomorrow. And I'll keep supplying you so that you can keep being generous. This is amazing. I, this principle is great. And I'll, I, would, I would challenge you to talk to any mature disciple who you would say, okay, I have respect for these folk. They've learned to give this way and they've seen God provide. Yes. Yes. And so the principle of sowing and reaping. You give, the Lord meets that need, you learn to be content. He gives you the grace to be content. And we know it's more blessed to give than receive. You know when you give and when you give generously, you get good vibes. Everyone say good vibes. <laughs> no. So, no. But seriously, you do get contentment when you give. God meets their needs. You get the joy. God promises to continue to meet your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be supplied to you. I can, do all things through in, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a verse about learning to be content when you have a lot or when you have a little. And so you get this generous provision. Look what he says, in, I think it's verse 12. No, 10. He, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You don't just like get a financial end of this. The righteousness of God is seen. The goodness of God is seen through this kind of kingdom giving. And so when you think about, man, I'm trying to decide in my heart what I should be giving. One of the big blocks in front of that is fear. And so God gives us this principle. Hey, remember who I am. Remember that I'm the provider. Give, and it will be given back to you. You will be, care you will be cared for. Let me just say two other quick things about this sowing and reaping. And they're connected to each other. One, 
7. Speaking of sowing and reaping, each one must give. <laughs> so for those of you that were waiting for me to get more confrontational, here it is. If you are a follower of Jesus, you must give. I'm not telling you how much you should give. I'm not telling you even, it might not even be money. Pastor Dave, one of the points that I've heard from various folk, just how encouraging the Holy Spirit used this phrase that we all have an abundance of something. Yes. And we, we might just be giving that. But each one must give. Otherwise, and this is the second part of the thing I want to point out to you, Paul connects, he really tethers this giving ministry, this act of grace, he calls it, where I contemplate and receive the grace of God and I respond to that, is actually connected to a credible profession of faith. I say I'm a Christian, I say I'm a disciple, well then you have to give. So he says in chapter 9 and verse number 13, by their approval of this service, the poor saints in Jerusalem will approve of it, they will give God glory because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. That's strong language, friends. That's, where, that's the core of what it means to be a Christian. I have confessed the good news of Jesus, that he died to be my savior and he rose to be my king. If I'm worshiping and following that Jesus, it's impossible, it's absurd that I would not give something when he's giving me so much. So, as you think about what it means to grow as an apprentice of Jesus, well, even before that, if you're trying to figure out if you want to become an apprentice of Jesus, this is the best way to give. Doesn't it just make sense? You get to become a Christian, you get forgiveness, you get God, you get the Holy Spirit, you get eternal life, you get all those things, and then God just says, give whatever I lay on your heart. <laughs> the church would have such a better reputation in the world if that's what we just kept saying and doing. And all God's people said, Amen. So let me summarize it this way for you. As you're deciding in your own heart what to give, consider the honor that is due to Christ. Consider the principle of firsts. If you're giving out of the leftovers, I would challenge you to change that. In a sense, even putting God to the test and say, you know what? This next month, I'm giving first to the Lord, whatever that percentage is, and see how God will provide. Not a get-rich scheme, no way. But God will provide what you need when you honor him first. And by the way, I'm even going to say here, don't even give all of your kingdom giving to New City. And all God's people said, amen. There's a lot of other great Christian causes, kingdom causes that you can give to. Now, if you're a member, again, it just makes sense. This is your family. This is, you know, this is what we're doing. You give a, a consistent percentage here for sure. But decide in your heart that Jesus is valuable and honor, and he's going to get my first and best, and I'm going to give to the kingdom. And then we'll, we'll talk about bills and frills. Secondly, consider the example and pattern of those in the story of God for centuries. That's what the whole tithing conversation was about. That's what the whole 
um, you know, Zacchaeus conversations about. That's 2 Corinthians 8. Look at Jesus who gave everything. Let that influence you. Talk to other godly disciples who are mature and say, how has this worked out in your life? Look and then decide in your own heart. You know, you don't make this decision in a vacuum. And then finally, remember that giving in the kingdom of God is more like sowing and reaping. God will generously provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide. He will care for you day by day, by week by week, year by year. God will provide. So we are set free to be generous to meet the needs of others and all for the glory of God. Father, I pray that you would help us as we're deciding what to give. I pray for every disciple, every Christian here, that they would just contemplate, receive your incredible gifts in ways that liberates their hearts to be generous. Lord, I pray for those who are still seeking and figuring out. Thank you, they're here. I pray that you continue to meet with them and draw them and show them the beauty and the wonder and the need to give themselves to Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.